What we're gonna do right here is go back. Way back, back into time. Hello, my friend, and welcome to another episode from the WW Radio Archives. I am Lou Mangello, and this is show number 763. And this and every week, I'm gonna select an evergreen episode from the archives to share that maybe you haven't heard before or one that you haven't heard in a long time from interviews to top tens, relevant reviews, Wayback Machines, guides, and more. It's a great way to visit and revisit some of our favorite episodes, including ones that you have suggested I share from the archives. And as we come to the end of the year, I found myself once again getting sentimental and nostalgic. Uh, I'm always so grateful for the incredible opportunities this show, thanks to you, has afforded me to share with you, including conversations like this week, with true legends. So this week, I went back into the WW Radio archives to bring you one of my favorite interviews, because in addition to being a Disney legend, my next guest is the recipient of multiple Academy Awards, Golden Globes, and Grammys for his work on a few Disney animated classics like The Little Mermaid, Aladdin, Pocahontas, Hunchback of Notre Dame, Enchanted, and of course, Beauty and the Beast. And as I recently discussed on our Best of the Best from the Disney Parks Around the World episode, he also wrote what is arguably one of, if not the, most beautiful song in a Disney park. Legendary composer Alan Menken joined me on show 196 back in 2010 to talk about his early career and then also helping to usher in the renaissance of Disney animation as well as his work on Disney's 50th full-length animated feature film, Tangled. It is a fascinating look into really the life and the music of a man who continues to make magic for generations of Disney fans. And I'd love to know from you, what's your favorite Alan Menken piece of music or maybe Disney film that he composed the music for? Please share your thoughts over in the WW Radio Clubhouse at www.radio.com slash clubhouse or call the voicemail, share your story on the air at 407-900-9391. That's 407-900-WDW1, and I will play it on the show. But for now, thank you for an incredible, a remarkable and memorable 2023 as we prepare to turn the page into the new chapter in 2024. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I hope that this show has brought you as much joy to listen as it has for me to create and share with you. I love you, I appreciate you. So for now, sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode from the archives on the WW Radio Show, and Happy New Year. For a generation of children who grew up in the 90s and even many adults, their personal soundtrack was comprised of music from Disney films and songs composed by Alan Menken. During the renaissance of Disney animation from 1989 to 1999, his work defined and was a major reason for the success of films such as The Little Mermaid, Aladdin, Pocahontas, Hunchback of Notre Dame, and of course, Beauty and the Beast. 
His work led, for the first time, to the transition of some of these and other films from the screen to the theatrical stage. And his work did not go unrecognized, not only by the millions of Disney fans who continue to span new generations, but his peers who have honored him with eight Academy Awards, making him only second to Alfred Newman and Walt Disney for the most Oscars won by an individual, as well as many more Oscar nominations, plus seven Golden Globes and ten Grammys, just to break up the mantle a little bit. He was recently awarded his own star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame and was appropriately named a Disney legend in 2001. And now he is back with his 10th Disney musical, Tangled, based on the fairy tale Rapunzel, which also marks a milestone for the Disney company, as it's the studio's 50th animated feature. So it truly is with deepest pride and greatest pleasure that I welcome Alan Menken to the WDW Radio Show. Mr. Menken, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for joining me. And as an adult who remains a kid at heart, you know, I was one of those people that I referred to in the introduction who found your music so inspirational and evocative and important, and it remains so to me to this day. So I have to tell you from the outset what getting the opportunity to speak with you today means to me on a personal level. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. If we can, let's just talk a little bit about your early background, because I think your journey is a fascinating one. And growing up in New York, you know, your musical tastes weren't necessarily the norm for young kids. Tell us a little bit about your early childhood and some of your early music, musical interests. Okay. I mean, I, I don't know if it's totally not the norm, but as I was growing up, I did love classical music. I, uh, I studied piano, I studied violin, played in school orchestras, went to uh, music camps, and I, uh, I would listen to, um, love listening to Beethoven symphonies and Brahms symphonies and Tchaikovsky and, um, uh, and inventing scenarios, <laughs> you know, dramatic scenarios uh, that, that would accompany those works. Um, and uh, I was never you know, great at practicing, uh, kind of an ADD kid, and so I, um, I would, you know, hear the beginning of a piece, and then I would make up my own Beethoven sonata or, you know, um, share any exercise or whatever it is. So my parents would think I was practicing, but in fact I was just, <laughs> you know, writing music for an hour. Um, and then, um, uh, you know, with the with the Beatles and and sixties. Uh, I, I like everyone else. I took up the guitar and um, and began you know, writing songs and and uh, and that was a you know a, ch- a turning point for me, I guess. Well, your your journey was a little bit more circuitous because you 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 start playing and then you start you know writing and composing. You were moved off your path a little bit. You you started studying pre med. What happened to go from oh. med school to uh, to to writing songs? Right. Well, I was you know. I, I, I never really wanted to be a doctor, and actually, the, 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 the truth is, all of the men in my family have been dentists. My father just retired. He's, he's nearly 90 years old. He just retired from dentistry. My father's brother was a dentist. Now he's an orthodontist. My father's father was a dentist. My father's sister's husband is a dent, dentist. My mother's sister's husband was a dentist. So this is a family that is lousy with dentists, and I guess I thought, well, I guess I'm supposed to be a dentist. <laughs> so I went to school as, as a, you know, as a pre-med or, um, but that didn't last very long. I, I, um, that was, 
you know, I'm, I, music is really what I think I was always meant to do. It's always what I wanted to do. Um, it's, it's where my heart was and my head was. Well, millions of people are grateful that you didn't follow the path that you were instructed uh, to do when you found the one that you were supposed to do. Yeah, thank you. I, and I think they're better off for me, for me not actually, you know, drilling their teeth. To... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, your your off Broadway shows will jump ahead a little bit. Um, you you were writing music for years, but your off Broadway shows, especially the Little Shop of Horror, really was your first major hit, going from the stage to the screen. But your starting to work with Disney really was kind of a product of the Eisner, Wells, and Katzenberg team coming together and coming in, really wanting to reinvigorate the animated films at the studios. Can you tell us how you began to work with the Disney company? Well, following Little Shop of Horrors, um, Howard Ashman, well, when we did Little Shop of Horrors, David Geffen was one of our producers. And and David, um, I think, mentioned Howard to Jeffrey Katzenberg and Michael Eisner as somebody they should, definitely should meet with, um, as somebody, you know, and as somebody who, who really had an understanding of how music could function dramatically, either in a musical or in, a, in the context of a film. So they and they talked to him about a number of projects. One of which was The Little Mermaid, an animated uh, musical. And I think, much to their surprise, Howard said, "That's the one that interests me the most." Um, and um, he then called me, and we both uh, started meeting with John Musker and Ron Clements uh, and discussed The Little Mermaid. And um, I, I, you know, I don't know that anybody knew what was going to come. It was just going to be. Uh, an exploratory process to see what might develop with these two young off-Broadway writers um, writing a uh, an animated musical that's that's supposed to sit on the shelf alongside Cinderella and Snow White and Pinocchio and Peter Pan. I want to be where the people are. I want to see. Wanna see them dancing, walking around on those, what do you call them? Oh, feet. And um, uh, it was a good marriage. It turned out to be a very good marriage. Um, I think because of our, our ability to get out of our own way, and I'm a bit of a musical chameleon, and so there was, it was uh, a real facility in working in, in styles and vocabularies. And, and, and so much because of of Howard Ashman being able to function as an executive producer and um, Howard's I- I- incredible uh, ability as a, uh, um, as a, you know, as a, as a dramatic writer and a, and a lyricist and director. He, he brought so much um, into that process. And we'll talk about, a little bit about some some of that marriage and the songwriting. But coming in on a film like this, you know, you, you alluded to, you're almost given this added pressure. This is not just a film. This is a Disney animated film that, again, has to sit alongside the classics. And again, you know, they're bringing in Ariel, the Little Mermaid, sort of that next generation of Disney princesses. And you are also the one who now has to bring the musical genre back to these animated films. Did you bring in sort of that Broadway template when you're writing and your experience in the theater? Or what was your other influences, if any, in writing Well, the films? influences really were, to, you know, and it's always been our philosophy to find a unique musical vocabulary 
that um, that can inform a story and you, that you can tell a story, you know, through that vocabulary. In the case of Little Mermaid, it was pretty eclectic, but I think the choice of, of making the character of Sebastian Caribbean so we could have Calypso music was, I think, a, a huge um, a huge element that um, uh, is very consistent with um, with the dramatic specificity that one needs to really have a successful uh, Disney animated musical. Um, you know, the Broadway style. All it means is we're telling a story through songs. Um, you know, a song will start in one place and finish in another. You, you want to, it to be consistent with the voice of the character. Um, it's got to be plot specific. It's got to um, comment on the character. And, um, and you know, and it, however you do that, that becomes Broadway genre. There isn't like one Broadway genre. It isn't necessarily the sound of either. Jerry Herman or Stephen Sondheim or 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 Rodgers and Hammerstein, um, uh, theater is welcoming to, to any style of music so long as it's specific to the story and tells the story. Well, and, and do you realize at any point during Mermaid or, or at any point during sort of these these Renaissance films, uh, you know, Mermaid, you follow up with Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin and Pocahontas and Hunchback and Hercules? I mean, one after the other. At what point do you realize that what you're doing is worthy of being alongside those classics and something special? And if it's not while you're creating it, at what point did that moment finally hit you? Well, as we're working on it, I think Howard, Howard and I had, had had the experience of, of Little Shop of Horrors and, and the way it, it exploded. And that was so wonderful. That was a great moment in both of our lives and our careers. Um, and I think, you know, we were young and we certainly felt our oats. Um, so I think we felt good about our work. Um, however, it was with, the, you know, getting the reactions from the directors, from um, the producers, from Disney executives, that we began to realize that we were really onto something uh, that was communicating to people, that was really um, catching people's fancy. And... Um, uh, and that, that you know continued by degrees. First, how we felt about it, then how they felt about it in house, and then getting the audience reactions, and then and then getting the full public reaction. Um, step by step, that was a revelation, and you know all the way to the point where you open up the New York Times, and there's this this glowing review and, and serious review um, that anointed Little Mermaid, and then of course to the Oscars. It, it just continued step by step. It was, you know, it wasn't one point. It was just at many, many junctures. It, it kept, you know, uh, the, the experience kept uh, improving. And I think the film's success was, was really unparalleled. And I think it, it, in large part, is because the music defined these films as opposed to maybe being something that was laid on top of them. And I think they all sort of share, all the songs seem to share this commonality of transporting the viewer and the listener to a very specific place and a very specific Absolutely. time. I think that's what makes these films very special. Yes, and audiences sense and know this material was written specifically for this for this movie. It was specific. It's specifically tailored to tell this story in a very very clever and consistent way. And audiences were hungry for that clearly, and and they hadn't had that in a while. Um, and and they embraced it. Unexpectedly. 
little change Small to say the least Both a little scared Neither one prepared Beauty and the beast Ever just the same I hear from people all the time who say, you know, when I saw Little Mermaid, it was just, thank you, thank you. We're, you're going back to a, to, a, to a vocabulary and a genre that we've been hungry for. And the music, you know, sets the tone, and Little Mermaid's a perfect example of the music setting the tone and the story from the opening scene, where you see the ship and you hear this sort of, you know, rousing sort of sea chant. You understand exactly what this film is going to be. Obviously, right. same thing continues with Aladdin and Beauty and the Beast and the mix of these these colors. I mean, you paint such a beautiful picture with the music. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that's, yeah, I mean, that's, the goal is in, in every case, in every song, you know, to have the audience fully engaged and and understanding, you know, why why this kind of song. It just, and it reminds audiences of, of other things that they know and like and informs the story and you keep the audience is fully engaged in that score it's, and and the score is of course constantly moving things forward um and that's that's the key to to these projects i think so it, it was yes it was it was it was amazing the, the, the reaction that we got was so encouraging and and it um it fueled you know the next two decades of my life and you know as i was researching for this interview I, I listened over and over again to so many of these songs and scores and and I found myself feeling that range of emotions and and I could admit to you that I you know get I was getting choked up to music that I had heard hundreds of times because and I said well you know how do I define how do I try and encapsulate this this Alan Menken style and I couldn't because Pocahontas had these beautiful flutes and percussions and Hunchback had these very deep choral sounds and and violins and the range is so different, and the span of emotions was so different. I think that's why all these songs and these scores stand out on their own and made these films such a success. Well, thank you. I appreciate that very much. But I have to ask you, do you and it's not asking you maybe... Oh, you, what, to, you want me to define what my... Well, I, I'm going to ask, I, I can't, you know, I certainly couldn't ask you, but I'm going to, what a favorite is, but is there one maybe that you enjoyed most or enjoyed listening to most or one that says, uh, you know... This this is kind of what defines Alan Menken. I wish I could. I wish I could. <laughs> I, I get asked that question a lot, and I wish I could answer it definitively, but I can't. Um, uh, it. I know it's like saying which of your two children is your favorite. Exactly. You, you can't. You can't say it exactly. I mean, <laughs> so. I said off, I said often that I felt that our highest accomplishment was Hunchback of Notre Dame. Um, that I did feel that it was the most sophisticated and emotionally deep of any of them. The world is cruel. The world is wicked. It's I alone whom you can trust in this whole city. I am your only friend. I who keep you, teach you, feed you, dress you. I who look upon you without fear. How can I protect you, boy, unless you always stay in here, away? But that doesn't mean it's, you know, the one that reaches the audiences most effectively or, t- or that even tells the story most effectively. They all have their own 
technique of doing that. And and the storytelling in you know in, in Aladdin is very different from the storytelling in Pocahontas, and which is very different from the storytelling in Newsies and, and or Enchanted. I mean, they all have their own raison d'etre, and what they share in common is that you know there's been a a, a, gesta- a, a long gestation period of trying to figure out a smart way to tell a story through song that that an audience can get and uh, and be, feel engaged in before you write anything and certainly um, being completely willing to get out of my own way and Howard getting out of, out of his own way it's the same thing with all of my collaborators and and just allowing the voice of the characters to come through I think is 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 huge um, in terms of audiences um, defining who you know who it is I am or we are as you know as writers. And I'm so happy, just very quickly, that you mentioned Hunchback of Notre Dame because I've always felt it is such a rich, beautiful film, and and may not rise to the level of of I don't want to even say success, but you know the Little Mermaid or the Beauty and the Beast. But I think the music in there is paints such a beautiful picture, and I think Bells of Notre Dame and and Topsy and God Help the Outcasts. It's some of your best work, and it it yeah. makes that movie, uh, like you said, as as beautiful as it really is. It was, yeah, it was it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. But you know, they they, you know, I followed that with Hercules, which is just this romp and David Zippel's, you know, just fun, clever, brilliant lyrics. Honey, you mean Hercules? Woo-hoo, I'd like to make some sweet music. Our story actually begins long before Hercules. Many. When the world was new, the planet Earth was down on its luck, and everywhere gigantic brutes called Titans. They all have their own, as I say, they all have their own spirit and their own, um, uh, you know, uh, even, even poor little Home on the Range, which was pretty much a disaster, <laughs> has its, you know, the, the things about it that I love, and I hope that someday it will, it will, uh, you know, get a little more appreciation for some of those moments. Especially Will the Sun Ever Shine Again, the song that Bonnie Raitt recorded. And I think, too, each song has its own, you know, Hercules is so heroic and it's so inspiring, every song, and, and Aladdin's are, are much more mystical. And I think what's wonderful is that you write music that isn't just for the films. I think the music has a life beyond the movies. And in addition to just Disney fans enjoying it, I mean, it, your songs hit the top of the billboard charts. Adults like it, which I think leads to a great other success. And I said earlier, it defines many children because I think children are able to relate to this music. They get the story, and more importantly, I think they get the message that yeah. you're trying to convey. Yeah. There's no experience, honestly, even the Oscars, there's no experience that compares with me playing my songs for, for a young audience. You know, young being anywhere from little kids to, to even young adults. And 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 their reactions to hearing these songs um it, it's just deeply deeply moving and 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 satisfying for me it's it, it probably is the the most satisfying recognition i've I, I ever received and you know i often get the comment you know people would say you wrote the soundtrack for my childhood like you know i I, part of me says, well, no, I didn't really. I mean, I wrote some of it, I guess, but I'm, I, I, it's still thrilling that they have such a feeling of ownership and investment in what we've done. It's, it, it makes it all worthwhile. Yeah, it's 
so much carries beyond the couple of hours you may spend in the theater or a few hours sitting on the couch. Um, people do carry it with them for, for yeah, years and yeah. years afterwards. Yeah. And I think, too, uh, you know, the film stand on their own, uh, the, the music stands on their own, and obviously it's married to the film, but you've, you've always been very much involved in the entire production of the films, meaning that the producers don't just come to you and say, okay, we need a love song here and a magic carpet song here. Can you tell us about the songwriting process, maybe from your perspective as the film was being developed? Well, we um, we are not just songwriters; we're musical theater dramatists. So it's you know we get we get into the room with um, the directors and the writers, and um, and shape the story so it can be told through song, and then we do that on a regular basis, and. We collaborate. You know, they may have ideas for songs that that maybe we don't like, or maybe we think there's something in there, but we need to, you know, uh, maybe sort of negotiate what that song will be, what we want it to be, what they want it to be, and answer a lot of questions together before I ever go off and and get into the room with my collaborator. And then once we do that, in just about every case. I really like to to be in the room with my lyricist and embark on writing the song together in the room. I never, you know, I don't like having either somebody say, "Here, here's a lyric, set it," or I say, "Here's a piece of music, write a lyric to it." I I really want it to be a process of discovery for both of us uh, in the moment, and that tends to be what works best. And if I could just briefly touch on that collaborative process, um, clearly through the years you've worked with some amazing lyricists, but obviously your partnership with Howard Ashman, uh, especially early on, was some of the greatest successes that you've had. How different and, and maybe even difficult was it for you having to go beyond that relationship and working with others, especially because I think the two of you had that, you know, forgive the, the comparisons, but that you know, magical sort of Rogers and Hammerstein, Sherman Brothers-esque like magic right. to whatever you worked on. Yeah. Um, well, what was, I think, there was a number of transitions that were difficult for me. I mean, Howard was a very, um, a very strong, um, uh, very strong collaborator and, and a very smart man. And, and of all my collaborations, Howard was clearly the boss. Um, that, that, that relationship was established from our earliest show, God bless you, Mr. Rosewater, through Little Shop, because he was also the director. And so, and, and on, on Mermaid, he was the executive producer. So Howard was the only collaboration I've been involved in where I really considered myself to be, as a, as a composer, to be a, sort of a catalyst. And he was very much um, in the foreground as the dramatic voice. Um, as Howard became ill, I began to assume more and more responsibility for for the songs, for producing the sessions, for the arrangements, for every aspect of what we did. Because he he lost his strength, he lost his, literally lost his voice, and then lost his life. And um, so I had to step up, and and first of all take on more responsibility, and second second of all faced the fact that I was afraid that he was the key to my success and I, would I ever have success again. And of course, what happened was after he died, I, I, the first collaboration I had was with Tim Rice. And um, 
and and the song we you know the number of, we wrote a number of songs for Aladdin, but among them was a whole new world, which is the most successful song I've ever I've ever written and he's ever written. It was the number one single. It won Grammy Song of the Year. It won the Oscar. It was just huge. So you know, the, number one, certainly I I found my own voice and my own confidence, and number two. I um, I began to take on a much stronger leadership role. Also, my, you know, in my collaboration with Howard Ashman, that's the only collaborate, collaboration in which his, his name comes first. It's Ashman Mencken. In all the other cases, my name as a composer has been coming first. So it, it was a real transition for me and a real you know growth experience in in going through Howard's illness and then passing. And it was you know emotionally devastating. Um, and professionally kind of empowering at the same time. Hmm. Let's, um, let's look forward and let's talk about Tangled and, and maybe a little bit about what your inspiration was for the music in this film because it's very different from the other tale of a main character that's trapped in a tower with Hunchback of Notre Dame. Yes, it is. <laughs> and, and, and one of my big concerns um, with this project was, oh my God, how, how do we deal with this... Um, you know, somebody in the tower who wants, who needs to get out of the tower. Um, and one fundamental difference is Quasimodo looked out over the over Paris and said, I, I, I wish I could be part of that. Whereas Rapunzel looked out of her tower and said, I, I really can't leave here. It's too dangerous. Um, she, she's, you know, she is, she's been... Um, completely brainwashed by Mother Gothel into believing that that the world is too dangerous for her to go out into and she must stay in this tower. And um, so the trick there was to write a number where she would think about how great everything is in the tower, you know, and we would have we would fill in for her. She has to get out of this tower. Polish and wax, do laundry and mop and shine up. Sweep again and by then. Like 715 And so I'll read a book Or maybe two or three I'll add a few new paintings To my gallery I'll play guitar And cook and basically Just wonder when Will my life begin And the, the, the musical uh, inspiration I, I looked at Rapunzel And her hair And her quest for freedom I thought about folk rock. I thought about, on a gut level, I went to a Joni Mitchell song called Chelsea Morning, and, and I went to Cat Stevens, and I thought about that musical vocabulary and wanting to to write a score that, that kind of captured that feeling of freedom of the, in the 60s and the innocence. And it's interesting, and especially talking about that innocence, because, again, you're asked to write for what you know is going to be the next Disney princess, and that's a big deal. You've done it for Ariel and Belle and Jasmine, even Giselle in Enchanted. Now you have to do it for Rapunzel. And when you compose a song like When Will My Life Begin, is there any sort of added pressure or thought that comes in your mind? Because the music from this film is going to define who this princess is. Yeah. Um, well, it's, I guess it's a pressure. I wouldn't call it pressure, but there's definitely... A debate that ensues um, among everybody involved with the, with the uh, production, which the same thing happened with with Enchanted and and True Love's Kiss. Um, 
defining that genre and defining the tone is is so much a matter of dealing with everybody's pre- preconceptions about what they would like the opening to be or um, everyone's judgment about about whether this is the right thing. And traditionally, I don't know if it's it's probably true of a lot of, of a lot of forms, but certainly animation directors love their choices. So, you know, what else you got? What else you got? Well, wait, can we hear something? You know, what about something more like this? Or what about something more like that? And and after a while, it, it sort of begins to obliterate, you know, that, that initial gut level confidence. And at a certain point, I said, you know what? I really want to go back to that first song I wrote because that felt most right to me. And I I stuck to that pretty strongly, and that ended up being where we went. Um, but it's a, it's a, I wouldn't call it pressure, but I call it a, a, a definitely a, a, a strong collaborative um, process. Mother knows best. Listen to your mother. It's a scary world out there. Mother knows best. One way or another, something will go wrong, I swear. Ruffians, thugs, poison ivy, quicksand, cannibals and snakes, the plague. Yes, also large bugs, men with pointy teeth and stop no more. You'll just upset me. Mother's right here. Mother will... And to that end, when you write a song in 2010, you're writing for a different generation, a different audience with different tastes and and popular musical, musical styles. Do you approach the film with that in mind, or do you approach it as like, hey, I'm going to write the next Disney classic that's going to be timeless, and this is how I want to go about doing it? Really, all I think is I'm going to write, you know, the story of Rapunzel and the way we're telling the story, but that's what I'm going to do. I don't really think the next Disney classic, I don't really think, um, you know, awards, I, I don't think a, a generational. Now, that said, the directors of this are considerably younger than me and considerably younger than other directors I've worked with. So naturally, um, there is that dynamic in the room. I'm, you know, the more I go on, the more I'm kind of the old man in the room, Um, (laughs) which is a funny position to be in because I still think of myself as, you know, a kid in this business. But um, that's that's a dynamic that I've accepted. I'm, I'm, I'm very much the older guy in the room and a bit of the gorilla in the room, too, you know. Um, not not intentionally, but just because of things I've done. Well, real quick then, you're, you're working on this film with Mandy Moore, who, unlike maybe a Jodie Benson or a Paige O'Hara or a Leah Slaga, she's a major pop star, and she has a certain style to her singing and a, and a large and loyal following of fans. What was working with Mandy like? Oh, she was totally cooperative and, it was, and, and, um, and professional, and she knew from the beginning that her job in this was to be Rapunzel. And and frankly, Mandy Moore, you know, as a, as Mandy Moore, didn't uh, define anything, any of what we did, any more than Alan Menken being Alan Menken defined what we did. It's our job to tell this story, and, and you know, and get out of the way. And she was great. She was totally professional. Has a wonderful instrument as a singer, um, and and uh, she was every in every way. In every way, uh, as, as uh, professional and um, theatrically savvy as anyone else we worked with. Mr. 
Mr. Mackin, again, undoubtedly one of the greatest melody writers of our time. So much Thank responsible you. for the Renaissance and animation. Excited to see Tangled. It opens November 24th in theaters everywhere. The soundtrack is available uh, online. So grateful for all your time and working again on a personal level. Yours are the songs I keep on my iPod. I sing to myself in the car, and I'm able huh. to enjoy and share with my kids. So um, on Thank behalf you. of my family and all the families that you continue to touch with what's clearly not just your work, but your passion. I want to say thank you very much. Well, thank you for your time, too. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 7 a.m. the usual morning line up. Start on the chores and sweep to the floors all clean. One song I've never performed in public before, ever. It's a song just for you, Japanese D23 fans. From the Sinbad ride. But if you seek life's great treasures, follow the compass of...